0: Connors T, how are ye? My name is sarika and I'm sitting here in the shop office on my own this week because Aaron's not around but uh, it's important to record this because it's week two of November and November is important because it's our birthday and it's also our patron appreciation month in which we're releasing the tawn in five parts. This week is part two so without further ado let's hear the story.
1: Once Maeve heard the details Of the curse of Maka, She was delighted The following morning She sat brooding Over what this meant The curse of Maka Meant when the Ulster men Needed their strength the most Those that were old enough To have hair on their chin Would be struck down By the pains of a woman in childbirth For nine days and nine nights and they would lie sleeping for nine days after that. She was overlooking the plains that surrounded Khan and crows flew past her window. As she followed their flight, she came to a surprising sight. The hill of Khan was opening wild, and from the fairy mound walked a strange looking woman who seemed to glide over the air as she moved she led a young bull with her into the field where the white-horned bull raised its head the strange woman with long flowing red hair and a cloak tied round her she couldn't quite get a good glimpse of this woman know whether she was beautiful in one look and the next moment she seemed an old hag or crone. But May was distracted now as she saw the white-horned bull race towards this young bullock. They fought on the plains of Kruakon, I and the white-horned dashed the brains of this young bull out on the rocks. He stamped away. Raising his head and bellowing in triumph No other bull would enter the field of the White Horned As soon as Maeve saw that She took one drink of water And swore she wouldn't let another drop of any other liquid Pass her lips until she had the brown bull of Coolie To face the White Horned And they fight it out on the plains of Kruakon She turned to Fergus and her servants and she let them know she wanted all of the armies of Ireland to gather in Kruakon I. She had six sons, each called Mania, and they were married to strong households and so they each arrived after a few days to Kruakon with their armies gathered. She sent messages out to all of the other allies she had, and she had many. It was well known that once Maeve of Kruakon Ai calls for something, you answer. And so her allies were large in number. The whole host blackened the fields and plains of Kruakon Ai. Messengers came back with reports to Maeve that she had sent to spy in the Crave Rua as this great army amassed itself they reported that the men lay in bed they lay in their sick beds crying out in pain they said the king Grihur Magnassa was lying in his sick bed with the pains of a woman in childbirth and so now knowing the curse of Maka was true she was more confident than ever she would get the brown bull something plagued her mind and so she went to her wisest druid. She asked him for a prophecy, to tell her what he saw in the future and what way it would be if they tried to get the brown bull of Cooley. After seeing into the future and rolling back his eyes the druid, he replied that Maeve herself would succeed and arrive back to Kroakon, alive. She wondered about the others and asked what way they would be, but he replied he could not see whether anyone else would come back. But she would succeed in what she wanted. Satisfied to some degree, she went back to her chariot and stared aghast at a woman that sat perched on the shaft Maeve turned to this strange looking woman and asked her in no uncertain terms what the fuck she was doing on her chariot the woman smiled her ruddy cheeks back at her and said her name was Phelim of the She of Wrath and she had a prophecy for Maeve Maeve asked her why it was that she would give her such a prophecy and Phelim replied that she was one of the she of Kruakon I and so it was her duty to offer such. And she looked out across the host and she said, I see them all crimson, I see them all red. But Maeve was confused. She asked how this could be if Grorhorn McNassa lay in his sickbed writhing in pain as the curse of Maca was on all of the men of Ulster. Told her to look again Once more Phelim looked out across The men gathered over Kruikon Eye and said I see them all crimson I see them all red How can this be Maeve asked Now getting frustrated with this fairy woman When the greatest warriors Of Ulster have been reported To be in their sick beds Once more She replied I see them all crimson I see them all red And I see a low-sized man, she said Running around them With many wounds on his lovely skin And this Is the Hound of Ulster I see the men falling before him Like wheat before a scythe And with that The fairy woman vanished, Maeve now knew two things from two prophetic visions one these men could die and two she herself would survive with that she spurred her horses onwards and called for Fergus MacRoy. She put him in charge of this great army and told him it was time to march.
0: The army of the men of Ireland marched towards Ulster. Now at the first night they all stopped together and the leaders sat together in a council. Maeve and Oliel, Fergus and Cormac and Lingus of Ulster, and they conversed together about the way the men were. And Oliel asked, Was there any one of the companies, eighteen of them in total, that stood out to Maeve? And Maeve said yes. The men of the Galliana seemed to her to be an excellent group of warriors. Because when everyone else was looking for a place to pitch their tents, the Galena's tents were already ready for them. When everyone else was getting their food out, the Galena had their food cooked. When everyone else was cooking their food, the Galena were eating, and when everyone else was eating, the Galena were already in bed. This was a sign, she said, that they were so much more disciplined, so much better than anyone else. And she was sure that that difference would be evident in the battlefield as well. This was a problem, because with an army of all of the men of Ireland together, it was going to be difficult to keep rivalries from springing up among them. And Maeve was sure that at every crossing place, at every ford, there would be a quarrel as to who was going to cross first. In every hunt, there'd be a fight over who would wound a boar first. And these Galena, they would cause resentment to rise. Aalil was particularly proud of the Galena, because they came from Leinster, as did he. And as soon as Maeve realised that, she said they were never to be spoken of before her and never praised before her from that time out. And furthermore, she said that the best way to deal with the rivalry that might arise would be to kill the Galena, all at once, right now, before it got worse. Aulil objected, as did Fergus McGroy. In fact, Fergus went so far as to say that if Maeve attacked the Galena, he and the exiles of Ulster would defend them, Maeve knew she couldn't really go through with her threat. So she said the next best thing to do would be to separate them, distribute this company of skilled warriors among the other seventeen companies, so that they would not create that kind of envy among the other men, and this was done. But the rivalries that Maeve had worried about, they did spring up. There were quarrels and there were fights and there were scuffles among the different groups, and so Maeve decided that each of the seventeen companies should lead themselves to Ulster, should go their own way, and they should travel separately from one another try and put a little bit of distance between them, defuse the quarrels before they came to a head. And then she noticed that they were going the wrong way. Fergus McGroy, who had been leading them, had begun to lead the army south. That night, Maeve took him aside and asked him, where did his loyalties really lie? With Ulster, his former home, or with her? Chastened, Fergus turned the army around, but they had wasted a full day going south, and then a full day more going back north to the place they had been. There came a time where the army had to go through a narrow pass, and they could not all fit through at once, and so Maeve divided the army in half. One half would go through, the other half around. Now, O'Leil was put in charge of the second half of the army, and he fully expected his wife to come with him. But much to his disgust, she stayed with her new lover, Fergus McGroy. This was yet another sign of Maeve preferring Fergus to O'Leil, And though he'd sworn to be without jealousy, again jealousy reared up inside him. And so Oliel sent a servant to follow after Maeve and Fergus. To wait until they'd lain together and to steal the sword of Fergus McGroy. The great sword Leocon that threw a rainbow across the sky when it was drawn that could cut down 10 men with one blow. Fergus noticed the next day, and he was so ashamed to have to lead the army without a sword of his own, that he carved a bough of a great tree into the likeness of his sword, put the wooden sword in the hilt, and went about as if he'd never lost it. And of course, when the army reunited, Olil said nothing. When at last they came to the border of Ulster, they were met by a strange sight. There was a standing stone there, and around it was wrapped a great sapling of oak, and on the ring of oak was carved in Oam a message. Olil wondered at it, saying he would hate to meet the man who had done this deed. And Fergus read out the warning, carved on the Ring of Oak. It said that no man should pass that place unless he wished to answer to the Hound of Ulster. Ignoring the warning, the army continued, cutting down a nearby wood to let their chariots through leaving the tracks of it afterwards. And that night, the first night they were in Ulster, a snow fell over Ireland that had made one plain of the whole countryside, and Maeve's men shivered in their tents. The next morning, they came on through the landscape of Ulster, cold and white, and they came upon a terrible sight. A great tree, had been dug up its roots carved off and shaven and the tree driven down into the ground upside down and in the roots of the tree that now waved in the air were the heads of the two sons of Nera and their two charioteers scouts that maeve had sent ahead of the body of her army Now when they saw this done, Maeve and the others looked around them, sure that the men of Ulster had awoken early from the curse, but to their shock, they did not see the tracks of an army leaving that place, nor the signs of any great battle. They saw the track of only one chariot in the snow, and they knew then that this had been done by one man and one man only. Maeve then turned to Fergus, asked him who this could be. You've often spoken of him, she said, this Cúchulainn, this Hound of Ulster, but tell me now who is he that can do something like this? And Fergus told her, well, he is my own foster son, and foster son of Cúchulainn MacNessa. He was born into the other world, when his mother Dectera took herself away on her wedding night and lingered there for a year and a day with Lulaw father of the Tuadid Annan. He came back to Ulster and was fostered by every one of the great men, by myself, by the king, by stewards and druids and hospitallers and scholars. He joined the boy's troop younger than any before him. He took up arms while still only a soft child. He slew the Sons of Nocton on his first foray. He trained with the greatest warrior in the world, Skahok, the Grey One, who lives there on the island off of high-hilled Alban that bears her name. He got his name, the Hound of Ulster by killing the great hound of Cullen that guarded the smith's land from any raiders. And when he is in his battle rage a change comes on him. The warp spasm. His muscles bulge. His knees turn backwards like the joints of a hound. His nails become claws His teeth become jagged fangs. One of his eyes bulges out of his head like a dinner plate and the other shrinks back in his skull so that a bird with a long beak could not peck it out. His hair stands on end and crackles with electricity. And from the top of his skull a fountain of blood erupts. This then may is the hound that your army faces and he is not under the curse of Maka because he is still young and he does not grow a beard on his chin.
1: Now once have heard all this, she dipped her head towards her chest, shook it resolutely Even if this one warrior has the Thua de Danens blood coursing through his veins, he is still one. He cannot stand against an army, and one man can be wounded. She moved the army onwards. That whole day they marched across an empty-looking ulster, scared of the shadows of the trees left behind them the sun moved its way across a grey sky. The men felt a cold wind blowing through them, and as the sun began to set, they set up camp once more. They heard the shrieks and cries of death all around them, as stones whizzed through the air, knocking men down. Many men that took up their arms to try and face this foe did not come back, and all that was heard were shrieks of death all around the grounds of Ulster. The next day these men were afraid of their lives, moving forward looking around for the hound that harried them. That third day they marched, now full of fear and fright, looking around for anyone that might harry them. No one came but the beautiful Fiac, they found his body strewn out in front of them. This was the most beautiful man in the army, and all of the she from the other world that watched, they came out from under the hill and they sang laments and cried of the death of beautiful Fiac. The men were terrified. Woodmay was resolute to keep marching towards Cooley To obtain the brown bull and drive him back This was all they needed to do But as she rode in her chariot With her bird perched on her left shoulder And her small dog at her right foot Two chariots on either side And one before, one behind So none of the mud from the wheels would spatter onto her dress As she was standing this way A stone whizzed through the air Knocking the bird from her shoulder She ducked down Alarmed now That someone could attack her From so far away The next thing she heard and felt Was a whine and a movement As her dog yelped She looked down to see Its brains spattered Along the floor of her chariot She reined up her horses, pulling everything to stop. She dismounted, unnerved, shaking and quivering her long, pale face, angry now that Cucullin could get so close to her. Then one of her serving maids went to draw water by the nearby river. She borrowed Maeve's golden headdress as she walked down and as she filled water. A stone whizzed through the air and knocked dead Maeve turned to Fergus with this insult, with this fear now inside of her that it could be her that would die next she said she could not move on Maeve turned to Fergus and her closest subjects and drew them into her tent she looked at Macroth, ill Macmothock and Fergus, the general of the army and told them something had to be done They could not keep going Men dropping like flies This way with the Hound of Ulster Rallying around them Striking fear Into all of the men's hearts This could not Go on A message had to be sent To Cucullin Maybe he could be bought With lands and titles And Maeve's friendship She looked Towards Macroth messenger. And he set out to find Kukolin.
0: Okay. So that was part two of five of episodes of the Tone that we're gonna be releasing over this month. This is to say thank you to all of the people who support us on Patreon, which is how we're funding this podcast. If you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales. There are a number of different rewards that we're offering patrons. The system that we've adopted is a flat one. So any amount that you're able to give us gets you access to all of the stuff. For instance, if you miss the uh, in-depth discussions of the myths that we do after most episodes, also known as the shy talking we clipped out outtakes from these particular stories and they'll be going up on Patreon. And in those outtakes, there's there's some mistakes, but there's mostly actually just us discussing what we're doing in that particular session because we're really, really prepared. So if you want to get access to that, if you miss that kind of chat, that is up on Patreon or rather is going to be going up on Patreon very, very shortly. And if you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, the first 10 people who sign up for the first time in november are gonna get a free totally cool candle of tales tote bag and aaron is not here to stop me from making tote puns so you should totally do that because it's totally awesome because it's a tote this podcast was produced and edited by Oshin ryan story was by myself Sarah hegarty and aaron hegarty with massive thanks and a huge debt to lady gregory's version of the tawn which is called Cucullin of Merthevna. This was also brought to you by our patrons Anna, Anne, Eva, April, two different Claire's Connie, David, Desi, Dahi, Emma, Emmet, Kiva, Margarita, Pamela, Ronan, Russell, Selina, Simone, and Sweeney. And if you would like to join their August ranks, Go to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. And we will be back with the next installment of the Tonbokunla very, very soon. So keep her lit.